Well, Merry Christmas. I'm so thankful that some of you children brought your Christmas presents to show me today. I got to see a wonderful shiny Buzz Lightyear. I got to meet Spider-Man himself. I saw Thor's hammer. I didn't try to hold it, but I saw it. I saw some beautiful Christmas Day purses. I saw lots of other gifts, and I'm just so thankful that you brought your gifts to show me. I really appreciate it. And if you brought a gift to show me, and I haven't seen it yet, you can show me after the service. I I would really like to see uh, what your favorite gift was, or the one that you could get in the car that your parents would let you bring today. And thank you for bringing no live animals. I deeply appreciate that. (laughs) Christmas really, really is a season of gifts. And here's what's great. At Christmas, we remember that we are all children. Because the most important thing about Christmas is what we receive. It's great to give gifts. And when we give gifts, we're actually imitating God and his wonderful generosity. But please, please, please know what's more important about Christmas than imitating God's generosity is receiving his greatest gift. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is about giving and receiving gifts because God so loved the world that he sent his very own eternal son for us. Christmas is about receiving gifts because God the Father sent God the Son through the agency of God the Holy Spirit for our salvation. Christmas is about the Son of God coming into the world to rescue God's good creation and those of us who believe along with it. Christmas is about tuning into how generous and gracious God is to rescue sinners like us for himself and his good purposes. Today, I want to focus a little bit about uh, upon how the eternal all glorious son of god came into the world so we're going to read from the third gospel luke chapter 2 just the first seven verses and tune into what it was like when the all glorious all eternal son of god came into the world what was it like when all of his glory descended to our dusty world full as it is of doubts and disappointments What did it look like when the all-holy, all-glorious, eternal Son, worthy of praise, when he descended to our dusty home, what was it like? We'll give your attention with me to Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What was it like when the all-glorious, all-holy, 
eternal son of God, very God of very God, truly and eternally God. When the second person, the son of God entered into our world, into our dusty planet filled with doubts, disappointments, here's what it looked like. He was humble, humble, humble. Did you hear what the passage says? Why was Jesus born in the town of Bethlehem just outside of Jerusalem? Because a pagan ruler wanted to count noses to get more nickels. Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus says everyone has got to go to their own birthplace and we're going to count you because my kingdom is the kingdom that matters the most and you're going to give me a, a portion of your money. So Jesus came, the eternal son of God was born in Bethlehem. And I want you to tune into just how humbling it was. Joseph had to go there because Caesar Augustus said, everyone has to go to their hometown and be counted because I want enough nickels for my kingdom. So I'm going to count your noses. That's how it happened. It was deeply, deeply humble. Now there may be more to that story, but please acknowledge it. First of all, how how humiliating that is. For someone like Joseph, like from the son of, from the family of David. Secondly, I want you to note that when Jesus goes to, when Joseph and Mary go to, go to Bethlehem, uh, they've come from Nazareth. That is what we might call country come to town. Some of us can relate to that depending on where we grew up, uh, but that's country come to town because Nazareth was a town of about 400 people when uh, Joseph and Mary lived there before Jesus was born. It was a very, very, very tiny town. Today in Nazareth, there's about 77,000 people. It's a little more significant. But in this first century, it was a tiny town and it didn't matter much. It was up in Galilee. Uh, It was pretty much a backwater place. And that's where Joseph and Mary came from. And because they were bossed around by pagans, they had to leave that country kind of place and go to a town called Bethlehem. Uh, I may have mentioned this recently, but I, I looked, I, I discovered there's a little town called Holt, Alabama. And I was like, that sounds, I'm pretty excited about that. Then I realized it's about 3,000 people. Not too impressive. And it's kind of being, it's kind of being uh, gobbled up by Tuscaloosa these days. It hardly exists. Well, that's what Nazareth was like, just smaller. And so that was pretty humbling. See, when the eternal, all-glorious, beautiful, ought-to-be-worshipped Son of God came into the world, he was bossed around by pagan, his parents were bossed around by, by pagan rulers. He was country come to town. But also, did you catch what the passage says about Joseph and Mary? So interesting, isn't it? Verse... Six. No, verse five. David's traveling from Nazareth to the town of David, Bethlehem, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Well, let me tell you, in the ancient world, unmarried people did not travel together. They didn't. So why are Joseph and Mary traveling together? Uh, Mary would have been living... She was, she, was doing, she was doing the most holy thing that any woman would ever do. But it didn't look that way. So, so Joseph and Mary, not only do they have to obey what the pagan king says, and not only are they going from a little town to an important town called Bethlehem, but everyone who sees them sees an unmarried couple and she's expecting a child. I'm telling you, in every kind of way, it looked humble, humble, 
humble. Embarrassingly so. And then finally, you saw it with me, didn't you? Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And I'm going to retranslate two words here, if you don't mind, because I think it's a little better than the ESV. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a food trough. Now, the word, the Greek word here might mean a cattle stall. It would have been inside a house because there was no uh, place for them in the guest rooms. This is probably what happened there. There wouldn't have been like a a Motel 6 down the road in Bethlehem. Uh, Most likely what happened was they were going to a relative's house because people were coming there for the census. And so every home would have had a guest house. And that's probably what the last word in the text means. And because other people had, were getting bossed around by Caesar Augustus, some other relatives would have beaten, would have beat Joseph and Mary to the house. So another family was already staying in the guest room. So basically Joseph and Mary are staying in the house, but downstairs below where the people slept and where the guest room was down there where the animals came in on the night, on a winter night. So that's where they are. Joseph and Mary are with baby Jesus in where the cattle stay overnight. And when Jesus is born, who is he? He's the eternal son of God, very God of very God. And when he's born, she lays him either in a cattle stall manger or a food trough. Do you see when the eternal son of God in all of his glory was born and added our humanity himself, he showed up in this world This dusty world full of doubts and disappointments in the most humble way imaginable. It's really important to see it because there's maybe nothing less attractive and less true to the world than an arrogant person who believes this. Shouldn't we who believe that the eternal son of God was born in our world for our salvation because there was no other hope for our rescue apart from him. And when he descended from heaven to earth, he came in the most humble of circumstances. If we believe in him, shouldn't we also be the most humble of people? Shouldn't people be able to kind of see and experience genuine humility in us that raises questions for them about how do people become as humble as these people it's worth aspiring to because our savior is who he is full full of glory but descending and humbling himself in ways that are remarkable and really should arrest our attention so lowly was he you know this is how he was born But his life never looked much more impressive than this. He lived uh, in a poor family. Uh, He lived in this place called Nazareth. He learned a trade from his father. And when he began his public ministry, he would say things like this. The birds of the air have their nests and the foxes have their holes. But the son of man, that's how he talked about himself often, has no place to lay his head. Jesus was deeply, deeply humble in his birth. He was deeply humble in his life. He was deeply humble in his ministry. And he was ultimately humbled by taking the place of wicked sinners and being treated like one for us when he took all of our guilt and shame upon himself and how abased and low and humiliated he was because he identified with us at our worst to save us. Please, please, please see the deep, humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, I want you to see not just humility, 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 but something that's holy 
holy, holy. And I'm going to tell you about the rest of the story. It's not printed in your worship God. So just listen. In the same region that night, there were shepherds in their field watching over their flocks by night. They're just doing their stinky, smelly job. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds and they're freaked out because in most cases in the Bible, when people meet actual angels, they get really afraid. They're not warm and fuzzy. They're not cute and nice. They're terrifying. And so it happens here in the passage as well. Uh, The shepherds are completely afraid. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds on this field just outside of Bethlehem. And here's what the angel said. Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Coming not to Caesar Augustus, not to Herod, but to the shepherds. That will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the long-awaited king, the king that all of God's people has been waiting for. He's born this day. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a food trough. Can you imagine being the shepherds and getting this message, all this angelic host saying, you're telling us, you're telling us that the Messiah is born. You're telling us that he's the Lord. And then we're going to go find him lying in a food trough. That would have been really hard to pull together. But I want you to see that this scene is holy Holy, holy, it's announced from angels from heaven are making this enormous announcement, even though they're doing it in a pretty humble place. But the next verse in Luke 2 is verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what just happened? Jesus, the eternal son of God, is born of the Virgin Mary there in Bethlehem and she lays him in a cattle trough. And as that's happening, heaven bursts open above a field and the field is lit up with angelic creatures who were saying, glory to God in the highest. It's holy, holy, holy. This very humble scene is way more than it looks. Now, some of you didn't like it when I said that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem because they were bossed around by a pagan king. That is how it happened in the providence of God. But you didn't like it because you know that Yahweh said that the king in David's line would be born in Bethlehem through the prophet Micah hundreds of years before this. Let those things come together in the providence of God. It was humiliating. In the wisdom of God, it fulfilled his sovereign word and his promise. It's both. The humble, humble, humble birth of King Jesus is a holy, holy, holy thing. And here's what this passage shows us. It's the the humble among the holy and the holy among the humble. Let me show you that from the same chapter. They said, glory to God in the highest. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger and there's the multitude of the angels celebrating the glory you see it come together what are they celebrating but the birth of the son who's lying in the food trough and the celebration comes from heaven because heaven and earth will be completely put back together because of this one i want you to understand that this passage 
helps us see the central core essence of what it is that we, who are Christians, who believe in Jesus, what it is that we believe. I want you to see it starkly different than other ways to look at God, ourselves, and the world. There are Eastern religions and they acknowledge that there's the appearance of doubts and disappointments, sorrows and struggles. But if they are your spiritual gods, they will guide you to recognize that all of the pain and sorrow is actually an illusion. And the key to being a holy person and living in a rich life is to understand that the doubts and the disappointments, the sicknesses and the sorrows, they aren't really real. It's illusion. And if you want to be holy and whole, you must understand that that's not what is real. See, Christianity is very, very different. Jesus Christ comes into the world. He comes into the dusty world. He identifies with us and he comes in a very, very low place. He ends up taking sin and sickness and sorrow upon himself. He never says it's an illusion, but no, he identifies with us at our worst coming into the world as it actually is and coming in a very low and humble place. Jesus is very different. Christianity is very different than those Eastern religions. But there's some other ones that tell you, here's the essence of religion. Religion is you doing your absolute best. And if you keep trying and don't stop, God probably will help you. Uh, Their image of religion is either like uh, people climbing up a mountain, coming from different angles. God's up there. And if you keep going and you don't stop and you keep trying, God will probably help you get up there. Just keep trying. And you can eventually work your way to God. I just want you to see that Christianity is very, very different. Christianity tells us this story, that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, he didn't come halfway down and shout instructions to us from the sky about how to meet him halfway. No, he came in to the creation itself as one of us. If life is a ditch filled with doubts and disappointments, Christianity is this, the Lord Jesus Christ crawling down in the ditch, taking all the doubts and disappointments to himself and bringing us up out of the pit himself. That's what we have here. All of his humility has a purpose, has a point. He humbled himself, identifying with us to answer our doubts, to take our disappointments to himself and to bring us from death to life by his great and mighty power. Well, how might we respond to news this good that there's a son of God who's become one of us to rescue us from all that otherwise would have been lost if we'd been left to ourselves? Well, I want you to know what happens next in the story that's not printed for you. Uh, The angels leave and you know what the shepherds do? They say, let's go, (laughs) let's go see this. And it says, and they hurried. I just want you to consider for a minute, if you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can go and see. You can ask God to help you, to open your eyes, to open your heart. You can hurry up and go and see Jesus if this is true. 
There was a time I was praying uh, with my daughter, Ellie, uh, who just graduated from college. I'm really thankful for that. But when she was four, uh, I was putting her to bed and praying with her. And I prayed something like this. You know, oh, Lord, please help give Ellie good rest tonight and help her sleep well and uh, protect her and, and help her know that you're always with her. You're always with your people and we're safe because we belong to you. Something like that. We were at Chrissy's parents, so she's not sleeping in her normal bed. And uh, as I closed that prayer, uh, her big sister, Abigail, who would have been about 12, was climbing up the ladder because Ellie was sleeping on the top ladder of a bunk. And Ellie, Abby, Ellie is lying up there. I just prayed with her. Abby's crawling up the ladder to the top bunk. And Ellie looked at me and felt a little sheepish. And she said, uh, Daddy, I know God is always with us, but I just feel safer with someone I can see. And she felt so comforted that her big sister was crawling up in bed to lie down with her. Here's what I want you to know. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a God we can see. He was born in deep humility. He lived a life. You can read all about it in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not only did he, did he live a remarkably beautiful life of deep humility, but at the end of his life, he gives up his life so that people like you and me can be rescued from our sin and belong to him and his father forever and ever and ever. And if you look at Jesus Christ, by faith and look into his face as he's revealed in the gospels you're actually seeing who god really is if you read the gospels you'll even hear jesus say this if you've seen me you've seen the father i find it wonderful that jesus life began when his mother laid him in a food trough for truly jesus christ is the bread of life. He's the true manna from heaven. He is bread for the world. Let's pray and meet him at his table. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and gave your life for us. And that by looking at you with the eyes of faith, knowing the truth about you, we can truly know who God is. You, the Father, the Spirit. So draw us to yourself with true and genuine faith. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us and for our salvation. Thank you that you are the very bread of life. Thank you that you offered yourself for us and you offer yourself to us today. Amen.